This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, last July, I went to the doctor for a physical, and... Uh, they took my blood. It had been a while since they took my blood, and they tested, and I was very high in cholesterol. Uh, in fact, my triglycerides were 500, very high. And so um, I decided that, well, in, upon my doctor's recommendation, I had to make some changes. Of course, he gave me some medication to take, and I changed my diet. Uh, no more red meat for me. Uh, no more of that nice, crispy bacon I got from my dad yeah, every, time that, every time I felt like it. Um, instead, I was going to be eating more chicken and fish. I was going to uh, stop craving those things that I just had always loved, those fatty, greasy foods. And I would start craving something new. It was last July, and, and I've talked already about those nice, juicy peaches from Wayne's Market. <laughs> and so I, instead of craving the, the, the bacon and, and, and steaks and things like that, I put a new craving on, and I craved after fruit. And uh, I don't know if you like these, but it really appealed to me. Cucumber and tomato salads. I mean, I, those were the kinds of things I was craving. I was putting off an old craving and putting on a new craving. And I think that relates to what our text is about. Um, in the flesh, in our, in, as our old man, before we come to Christ, we naturally have a craving for one thing. And when we come to Jesus, when He causes us to be born again, we have a new craving that, that we are to, to seek after and to desire after. This text that we're looking at today has to do with our desires. And we're to have new desires when we come to follow Jesus. So let's go ahead and look at our text. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Peter, starting in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and, sl- and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May we crave after it. Lord, may we crave after your word that we might read it and meditate on it, that you might speak to us, that we might grow into maturity as followers of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has for us today. Father, give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through 1 Peter, and uh, one of the things I always do is I, I try to go back and look at what we've covered so far. 
because uh, I want to make sure we're looking at it in context and, and uh, understanding it um, in light of the whole book. So we've seen that God has done a work in believers, that, that uh, He has caused us to be born again, and that's something we ought to praise Him for, right? He, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a hope and a future of, of glory with Him forever one day. Amen? And He holds us in His hands. Um, and Peter here it is writing to a suffering church, a church that is experiencing persecution, a church that is living in the midst of a hostile world. We still live in the midst of a hostile world, Right? We live, as believers, we live in a world that is hostile to Jesus. It is hostile to us because it is hostile to Jesus and His Word. So, if we're not going to be conformed to the world, we've got to put off this old craving and put on a new craving. Craving for God's Word. Um, Peter here in the, this letter, he has two different kinds of, uh, of uh, writing. For, he, he tells us about what God has done, right? He tells us about what God has done in Christ. He has worked our salvation through the, all three persons of the Trinity. The Father planned our salvation. The Son gave His life for us and sprinkled us with His blood. The Spirit applied salvation to us. To us. Um. He's caused us to be born. All those things are things that God has done for us. And on the basis of those things, He gives us commands. The commands are not just bare commands, just because I said so. They're rooted in what God has already done. Because God has done this great work in us, He's already told us we're to fear God. We're to be holy as He is holy. We're to live soberly. And, and put all of our hope in the grace that's to be revealed to us. And the last time I was with you, because of the work that He's done for us, because of the fact He's caused to be, us to be born again by the Word, by this imperishable seed, we're supposed to love one another, right? To love one another from the heart because we're truly, really brothers and sisters in a way that transcends even our biological realities. Because we've been born again of an imperishable seed. A seed that's going to last forever. We're going to be in heaven together if we're trusting in Christ. If we've been born again. Amen? Amen. So, as we look here at verse 1, he tells us to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. There's something that all those have in common that relates to what we've already looked at. All of those things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, all of those things are obstacles that stand in the way of our love for one another, aren't they? We're supposed to love one another from the heart. But what happens when malice comes in? We become malice towards one another we, we, we become hating towards one another we can't love one another if that if that we're so we're supposed to put off those things we're supposed to put off malice and deceit if we're not speaking the truth to one another lying to one another 
That's something that stands in the way. It's an obstacle to our love for one another. Again, um, uh, hypocrisy, putting on a face, trying to act like we're something that we're really not. Or saying one thing and living another. Those are things that stand in the way. They're obstacles. And besides, when we're trying to be hypocrite, when we're, we're not, you don't try to be a hypocrite. You just do it, right? But when we're hypocrites, everybody sees through it. Everybody sees through it. They see us and they're like, I don't want to be like that guy. He's all talking about how great he is. But we know what the truth is. Hypocrisy. Um, Evil, or I'm sorry, envy, you know, uh, that's one of the Ten Commandments, the last of the Ten Commandments. We're not to covet after the things that our neighbor owns. Uh, Envy is something that, again, it stands in the way of our love for one another. You can't love someone fully from the heart, sincerely from the heart, if you're wishing you had what that guy had, right? So all of these things are obstacles for our love for one another. And slander, boy, slander is one of the worst things within the church. Uh, and, and often we, we, we talk about, it, 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 we call it gossip, right? It, it, it's, it's talking about someone behind their back uh, and saying, oh, did you hear what that person did? All of those things are obstacles and hindrances for our love for one another. But you know what? That's what the old man that we used to be before we were born again craved. There's something that would delight in us when we would do those things from the old man. Maybe you can understand this. When you envy or when you um, slander someone, when you're gossiping, that, that sinful Attitude that sometimes remains in us that we have to repent of might feel like, I'm in the know. I know something about, uh, so I must be special. And it gives us a delight to be in the know and and gossiping about someone else. Maybe you you can can relate to that, how how even, even as Christians, sometimes we fall into this and we have to put it off. We have to repent of it. We have to, to run away from the, those, those desires that still crop up sometimes and get us. Or um, deceit. You know, when we're, we might be lying to cover something up so that we don't, we don't uh, get caught in something. And we might feel good about that. No, we don't want to crave those things. We don't want to crave after those things because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the fact that He has caused us to be born again, because of the fact that He's made us brothers and sisters and that we ought to love one another. We put off those things. We put off malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, all of those things, slander. We put off all of those things and instead we want to crave after something new. Like I had to put off the bacon. I had to put off lard in my pie crust. <laughs> I had to put off all of those things and instead crave after something healthy, healthy food. We are supposed to 
like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Mothers, you probably know about this a lot better than than us men, right? That baby, as soon as that baby is born, it's crying because it wants its mother and it wants milk, right? And here Peter is telling us, we need to be like that newborn baby. Now, this is not talking about maturity. He wants us to grow up, right? He wants us to grow up. And um, sometimes, the, you know, in Hebrews, it says, you know, you, the, the, the author to the Hebrews is, says, uh, you, you're just on milk. You should have moved on to meat by now, right? That's not the way it's talking about it right here. No, this is saying positively. This is saying you need to have this kind of craving. Just like a newborn baby craves after its mother's milk, you need to crave after spiritual milk. Here again, it says, like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. We put off those old things. We put off all those sinful desires that we've had before we came to know Jesus. And we long for pure spiritual milk. Now, what is this pure spiritual milk? Anybody have the King James? I'm surprised. Okay. Uh, I believe the old way of saying this is the milk of the word, right? The milk of the word. The uh, newer translations will translate this something like spiritual milk because the word there is, is not the word for of the word. Um, the, the, the word there is logikon. Maybe you're familiar with logos. Logos, the word, like the word was with God and the word was God. The word for word, <laughs> right? Um, but the word here is logikon. It's, it's, uh, it's um, similar. It sounds similar. And so um, it, this word doesn't appear very many times in the New Testament. But it also appears in Romans chapter 12. Whenever it says that we are to offer uh, our, our own bodies as sacrifices that are pleasing and acceptable to God, that is, uh, is our spiritual worship. Right? Uh, that word logicon is that spiritual word. And that's the idea it's getting. But it's, it's also like reasonable, which is our reasonable service from um, Romans uh, um, 12. So to long for the pure spiritual milk is to long for the word. It's to long for the milk of the word. This is how we grow in our faith. This is how we grow to maturity as Christians. By reading the Bible. By coming and and hearing, preaching from the Bible. By memorizing the Bible. By studying the Bible. By meditating on the Bible. If you want to be able to put off those old attitudes and those old desires. Instead, you need a new craving. You need to crave to study the Bible. Amen? That will change you. If you have trouble with all of those other sins, get in the Bible. And the more you study it, the more you'll be hungry for it. 
and you'll crave it more. The Word, when you have a hunger for God, it's one of those things that the more you eat, the more you taste, the more hungry you are. And the more satisfied you are. That seems like a contradiction, but it's, you can't know it unless you've tasted it. Which is what uh, he gets to here. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Again, the Bible talks about salvation in three different tenses. We have been saved. When we trusted in Jesus, that moment when we believed on Him and He caused us to be born again, He saved us. And that's past. We can talk about that as a past reality. And we also talk about salvation in a present tense. He is saving us. And we talk about salvation in a future sense. And here, Peter here is talking about it in that future sense, in that ultimate day when He comes again and He redeems us and pulls us. We are no longer going to have any more suffering and pain. We're no longer going to live in a hostile world like we do now. Uh, but we will grow into that ultimate salvation when He comes again. And we're saved from the wrath to come. That by it you may grow up into salvation. Indeed. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here, he has a conditional clause. There's a condition here. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Which brings us to the question... Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? I, I think it's important that he uses this word for taste in this text because it's talking about an experience. It's not just talking about what you know in your head. Uh, you know, you can talk about the Bible. You can talk about Jesus. You can learn a lot of information and that's a lot different than tasting. For instance, I can tell you about that nice juicy peach. Right? I can tell you about it. I can say, oh man, it's sweet. And it's juicy. And it just feels like... <sighs> Whew, a, a party in your mouth. you know. But you don't know what it tastes like unless you've tasted it, right? It's a completely different experience. If you'd have tried to describe to someone how something tastes that they've never tasted it before, you can't do it. You've got to taste it for yourself. And it's a whole lot different to tell you what God has done. To tell you what a difference He can make in our lives and for you to taste it. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Have you tasted? We don't have the power to do what he says in verses 1 and 2 unless we've tasted like he says in verse 3. 
We don't have the strength or the ability in us to put off malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander unless you've tasted that the Lord is good. You don't have the power to long for and love and desire the Word unless you've tasted that the Lord is good. So have you tasted that the Lord is good? Do you just know about Him? Do you just know information? Or has He broken into your life? Has He caused you to be born again? Brothers and sisters, He he warns us there is a possibility that those who are hearing this might not have tasted it. Right? He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And oftentimes, There are those that that fill that, that, that are in churches. They may not have they may not have tasted for themselves that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you experienced him putting a new love in your heart? that you didn't have any idea even could exist? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? The only way to taste, the only way to taste and see that the Lord is good is to look to what Jesus did for us. To hear the gospel and to let God change you. I'm going to just go back back over what the gospel is. The gospel is that God, we are sinners. I'm going to start with we are sinners. God created the whole world good, and we fell, and we're sinners. And because of that, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world where there is pain and anguish. There is sickness. There is sadness. There is death. There is cancer. There is coronavirus. There's all of these things in this world. And and we live in a broken world that is broken by sin. And the only cure was Jesus. That He came and He lived a sinless life among human beings. That He gave Himself on the cross for us. And that if you believe, if you trust in Him, if you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus, you look on Him and you throw yourself on His mercy. That's how you taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't clean yourself up You don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just be a good person. You say, I can't do it. I could never be good enough. On my own, I am, my righteousness is filthy rags. I come to Jesus with empty hands and I throw myself on the mercy of the Lord. That is how you taste and see that the Lord 
is good. So I'll end today repeating the question. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good?